There's a wisdom and indigeneity that is inherent to this land and in our DNA and in this land's DNA. We as Native people, as we are rediscovering our language, our culture, our values, we're, we're relearning and rebuilding. Not only are we going to have the grow the capacity for us to take care of ourselves and heal ourselves, but those lessons, those are the same lessons that are going to heal this world. The wisdom, the power, the strength of our people is going to lead to the success of not only our nations, but our, our neighbors as well. Hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. Native Lights is, at its core, a place for Native folks to tell their stories. Every week we have wonderful conversations with great guests from a whole lot of different backgrounds. These are policymakers, healers, artists, entrepreneurs, you name it. We talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And it all centers around this big point of purpose in our lives and, uh, you know, can't wait to continue doing that. Uh, so, Leah. That's right. How you doing? What's going on? I am well. Thank you very much. This month, I'm heading out to Boston, to MIT, actually, my alma mater. Yeah. To hang out and uh, visit the Indigenous Earth Day Summit at MIT. I'm really excited. And I, you know, when I was there... I didn't really participate in a lot of uh, indigenous or native community stuff because, honestly, there wasn't a ton there. But just down the road, though, um, luckily my senior year in college, I did have the opportunity to cross-register at Harvard University where I took Native Americans in the 21st century nation-building one and two. And if that's accurate, I will... (laughs) Celebrate <laughs> my memory. I think that's pretty close uh, with the amazing and intelligent uh, Professor Joseph Kult, and that's uh, at the Kennedy School of Government, uh, was a part of the Harvard project, which is not unrelated to what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. So today we're speaking with Wayne Ducheneau, a Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe citizen who is the executive director of the Native Governance Center. It is a Native-led nonprofit that assists tribes in Minnesota and the Dakotas with strengthening their governance systems and capacity to exercise sovereignty. So I can't wait to dig into more of that with Wayne and just you know hear more about him. And here he is. Buju Wayne, could you please introduce yourself uh, and you know where you're joining us from? Yeah. Hello, my relatives. I greet you all with a good heart and a handshake. My name is Wayne Ducheneau, Executive Director of Native Governance Center, and I'm calling in from the homelands of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe in North Central South Dakota. Nice. Um, so how are you and your family doing during the pandemic? It's something we like to ask every time. You know, um, I hope this doesn't sound horrible, but I will forever be grateful to COVID-19. It's allowed me a couple different things that I don't think I would have got had there not been a global pandemic that shut the world down. Um, The first thing is uh, I've had two children born during the pandemic. I heard if you uh, had a kid, got an air fryer, and what was the third one? There's a third thing. If you did all three of those, you won the pandemic. Well, I got an air fryer and had two kids. Oh, I didn't get a new pet. So, um, but I figured... A new pet was the third one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
There you go. And so um, being home with the pandemic has allowed me to not only see my two older kids grow up a little bit more than I would have normally, but I got to see so much first with my two babies, uh, first words, first steps, all those type of things that, you know, uh, for the first two kids, I was watching videos or Snapchats of them recorded doing it. And then the second mm. thing was we took Native Governance Center full remote as an organization in the middle of June-ish. As we kind of, as a leadership team, came together and made that decision, uh, pitched it to the board. The board supported it. Still didn't intend to move home because we thought the pandemic was going to end in just a few months. And then we got to my um, August board meeting and, uh, of 2020. And it looked like it was going to stick around for a while. So I asked my board if I could move home back to the rest. And they all agreed to let me move home. So uh, I don't think it had been for the pandemic. I would have missed a lot of things my kids did growing up. And I'd still be living in West St. Paul, Minnesota. Other than that, we're good. Uh, babies are healthy. A wife is enjoying being home closer to family. She was working at Target. So she misses her job and her work friends. But um, yeah. And I miss my coworkers being in the office with them day to day. But other than that, really no complaints. So before we get into, you know, the more pointed questions, can you just give us like a really brief overview of Native Governance Center? How would you describe Native Governance Center? We are a Native-led nonprofit organization whose work is centered around helping tribes grow their capacity to exercise sovereignty. We do that in three different buckets right now. Uh, first and foremost is our direct tribal governance support that sees us uh, reach out to elected leaders and folks that they put us in touch with amongst the 23 Native nations in Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota, uh, identify with them issues around governance and leadership that they're facing, and then bring our resources to bear, whether it's our in-house expertise, our network of content partners, or our ability to do some small regrants if tribes are already working on nation rebuilding projects. Um, and really, you know, our work for the last six years has been informed by community, right? So we have done two Native Nation listening tours where saw us go out to all these tribes, sit down with elected leaders and other folks and ask them what issues are you facing? Because our, our work is only as relevant as the issues that they're facing. And so we, we're, we're, we've grown a very nimble organization that can take on things as they come. Uh, our next bucket of work is our leadership work. So the flagship program being the Native Nation Rebuilders Program. Uh, currently in our 12th cohort, we've trained right at around 200 Native Nation Rebuilders across the 23 nations. Um, and really what the Rebuilders program is all about is taking already established or aspiring leaders and giving them just a few more uh, tools for their leadership toolbox, while also connecting them in a network of like-minded individuals wanting to do good for their community. Uh, really exciting program, really a lot of fun. Our last uh, bucket of programming is around community engagement and education, which sees us understanding that our work doesn't live in a vacuum. And we have to make sure as a nonprofit organization, those outside of Indian country understand our work and the importance of it. Um, there's you know, been some recent studies of philanthropy and it's some minuscule fraction around 0.02 or less percent of all philanthropic dollars go to native led organizations. And then if you carve into that, a fraction, fraction, fraction less goes into Native organizations doing tribal governance and leadership, right? And so without helping the broader public understand what's the importance of tribal sovereignty, what's the importance of good governance, what's the importance of good Native leadership, our work would go unfunded and under-resourced. 
And so uh, that's our third bucket of work is, and we try to pick topics and do community education events open to everyone around everything from how to talk about Native nations to uh, why treaties matter to our latest one was around blood quantum and sovereignty and helping people kind of grasp that complex subject. So that's our three buckets of work. And like I said, we've been doing it for a little over six years. That's really great. I know a Native Governance Center is one of the links that I send to people most often when they have questions about what is sovereignty? What is a land acknowledgement? Uh, and those related topics that um, Native Governance Center does such a great job of expanding on, summarizing, and then expanding on. So that's been a great resource. Gotta say. We appreciate it. We get, we get a lot of feedback from folks too about our land acknowledgement guides and like it seems like less and less people are being asked like straight out, write us a land acknowledgement, right? People are understanding that you know, there's some work to do if you're a non-Native person around that subject. And so I know our resource there has been helpful as well. Mm-hmm. And just for, you know, kind of another bit of overview, since what Native Governance Center does is very deep and wide uh, with the work, can you, I, I hear the words nation rebuilding, mm-hmm. Um, again and again. And can you just give us uh, just a bit on what nation rebuilding is? I sure can. So native nation rebuilding is a concept derived from the Harvard Project on American Indian Economic Development. They've devoted, I think, close to 50 now years of research. And it all was born of, and this is a loving term, so I apologize if it seems coarse, but two geeky white guys at Harvard... (laughs) Steve Colt and Joe Cornell, uh, economist and a sociologist. Opposite, sorry, Joseph Colt and Steve Cornell. Oh, yeah. Yep, sorry, (laughs) Joe Colt and Stephen Cornell. And there are these two geeky white guys who were sitting around um, wondering why some tribes were more successful than others. As they were having this discussion, they really quickly realized they needed to connect with a Native person because they had this idea to do this research project. And they reached out to a gentleman by the name of Manly Begay and thus began the Harvard Project on American Indian Economic Development. Their main thought going into it was that it had to be something about tribal economies. They very quickly learned through the research that it had very little to do with economy and had everything to do with governance. As they compiled the research, boiled it down and synthesized it, it came up to these five different Native nation rebuilding principles and what the research says is those tribes that exemplify these five things are oftentimes most success or most uh, successful. They are having spirited leadership. So that is people in community who can recognize issues that they're facing and bring the people through and to the change. It's having capable governing institutions. So uh, leaders are only as strong sometimes as the systems they're in. So when we think about capable governing institutions, it's everything from your fundamental documents like your constitutions to your bureaucracy and your laws and your policies and procedures. Those tribes that are oftentimes most successful also have a strategic orientation. So instead of focusing on the day-to-day, they're thinking and putting themselves in that seventh generation mindset and thinking out seven generations ahead. And we're all familiar as Native people, right, with that concept of seventh generation. It's very culturally ingrained in us. So then the fourth principle is cultural match, which sees tribes uh, who understand their history and where they came from and the systems with which they had in place that govern themselves for time immemorial. And they bring those things forward in a modern expression of government and governance. Uh, Those tribes that do that are oftentimes most successful. And all four of those things kind of melded together 
put in this mishmash all to practically exercise your sovereignty, right? And so sovereignty is a thing. Oftentimes people think it's just about uh, protecting, right? And so there's a great uh, uh, Tanaha Nation uh, former chief who she would talk about sovereignty as the shield, right? People think it's this shield to protect yourself. Um, when in fact, really what a shield is, is a weapon of war. And if we're not wielding our sovereignty, if we're not throwing our shield around and getting it dented and bumped and bruised, we're, we're, we're doing our sovereignty a disservice. So the, the fifth principle is exercising sovereignty. Um, and so that's kind of, in a nutshell, Native nation rebuilding, the, the principles. There's also, uh, when we talk about Native nation rebuilding, two different approaches to governance that they found. One is the standard approach. So think about how uh, sometimes our tribal governments are, you know, racked with doing things, the quick fix, the uh, shotgun approach to grant making instead of focusing and strategizing versus the nation rebuilding approach. That's using those five principles to make sure you're ensuring that your people are represented very well. So that's the standard approach and the nation rebuilding approach. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, you're listening to our conversation with Wayne Ducheneau. He is a Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe citizen who is the executive director of the Native Governance Center. For more about Wayne and the Native Governance Center, listen to our full conversation by searching for Native Lights wherever you listen to podcasts. Wayne... How about you? What is at the top of your mind right now with work or anything related to you? Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that over the years people have helped me understand the need to focus on are a few things like uh, the importance of self-care and leadership and the importance of taking time to build in space to be intentional and reflective, right? And so with the self-care piece, it's one of those things, uh, a little bit about me. So before I came to Native, Native Governance Center, I worked the majority of my professional career for my tribe. I was the general manager of our hotel enterprise. When I say hotel enterprise, it's just a really fancy way of saying 40-room motel in Eagle Butte, South Dakota. But enterprise on your resume looks really good. I was then the tribe's administrative officer. So think executive director where I oversaw 70-plus programs and 500-plus employees for a two-and-a-half-year stint. And then just previous to joining Native Governance Center, I served just under four years on our tribal council, uh, two as the tribal vice chair. Um, and so when you were in all of those different roles at home, I very rarely took a break to take care of myself. I think I was a little bit younger when I was doing those things. I didn't have a wife and kids at the time either. So I had this mindset that work was my life and I would throw myself into it. I can't tell you how many times, uh, even at the motel, I would start my work day at six in the morning, run the motel, catching up books when I first got there, um, well to eight or nine uh, o'clock at night. There were a couple different times when folks didn't uh, show up for work and I would work 24 hours straight because I would have to cover the front desk and other people couldn't make it in. Um, our tribal secretary, Yvonne Whitefeather, would tell you this cool story where after one of those particular 24-hour shifts, she called me for some information on the motel, and then I didn't remember having the conversation with her. She got the information she needed, but I didn't <laughs> recollect because I was so tired. Um, and so oh, oftentimes in my career, 
uh, I didn't understand that importance, that importance of taking time to take care of yourself, to make sure you can take care of others. And really that's uh, staff people we've had throughout the years. Rebuilders have really helped me to understand that, you know, we have to take care of ourselves in today's day and age, especially um, with all the challenges that we're facing as Native people. There's always so much. And I think the pandemic also laid some of that stuff bare, right? Uh, I can't tell you how many friends, relatives have now walked on, you know, so many that I kept quit keeping track. And with the pandemic not allowing us to come together to grieve, making sure I took time to find space to do things I needed to do to grieve became really important to me. Um, and I think without taking that time and making that space, uh, I probably wouldn't be able to chat with you today because I would be um, in deep, deep counseling. Uh, the other thing I, me I mentioned that I think I didn't quite understand was the, the time to be intentional and have reflection. So it's one of those things when Native Government Center, when we really started designing and delivering our own programming in the last couple of years, my fantastic staff said, you know, we need to build time in for reflection. Uh, we're doing this indigenous leaders and governance training and, you know, tribal leaders need to take time. They need to sit with things. They need to think about it. And I'm like, no tribal leader is going to want to do that. We just have to get in and talk with them, talk about it. And then, you know, make sure they have things to follow up on. And to my very pleasant surprise, as we intentionally built into that time to reflect, tribal leaders began soaking in information in new ways and shapes that, uh, if I'm being quite honest, they hadn't in the region up until then. And so it's one of those things that oftentimes, I think in the hurry of the Western world, we don't take time to be intentional. And I think that's something that I've really learned in the last couple of years is making sure that you build that type of time. What led you, you know, down this path? Uh, how, how did you get into this line of work? You talked about, you know, working like 24-7. Like, obviously, you have like a drive uh, to work. Like, where does it all come from? What led you down that path? The two biggest influence in my life is going to be probably the same as a lot of other folks, but it's my parents, right? So my, my father and my mother. My mom, Regina Ducheneau, was the heart and soul of our family. And I think from her, the biggest gift I got is the understanding to need to be patient and kind with people. There's a Christian value in turning the other cheek. And I can't tell you how many times growing up, especially, and I'll get, my dad was a, a, a politician, a tribal chairman, a tribal council rep, right? Uh, but I can't tell you how many times growing up, I was teased or made fun of or what have you for being in the family that I was. And I would come home and my mom would say, you just got to be kind to people, Wayne. And so that's kind of one of the things that's really stuck with me throughout my life is influence for my mom. And then my passion for tribal governance and leadership is definitely born of my dad and that side of our family. My dad was a two-time chairman of our tribe, on our tribal council, a former president of the National Congress of American Indians, and he rounded out his professional career as the executive director of our housing authority for almost 15 years. And so he taught us kids from a very early age concepts and ideals around servant leadership. If, if you are lucky enough to be chosen by people to be put in leadership positions, understanding that it's coming from a servant nature. I can tell you, I can't tell you how many times we would be at a meal, a community feed, a community meal. We were there early to help set up. We were there late to help tear down. You always made sure everybody else went through the food line first and got food before you dished up. 
And, and then you put in the work. And I suppose that many hours of work, I used to work when I was a tribal administrator. That's where I got that. I, one of the stories, my favorite stories about my dad is one of the most heart-wrenching ones that when he was chairman in from 86 to 90, my brother Guth graduated high school in 1990 and dad had to be gone at his high school graduation. And so, of course, this is well before the time of internet and Facebook and, you know, live, uh, going lives to watch things. And so my dad wrote a two and a half page letter to my brother, explaining him the ideals of service, the ideas of having to be there for the people, sometimes at the expense of your people. And I could remember my brother took it in stride and just kind of understood like that's, that's what dad does. He works for the people. And then no better personal example for me is in my dad's last few years of life, he was battling cancer. And amongst my six, myself and my other five siblings, we would take turns rotating to sit with him at the hospital. And, and I, it was my turn to, to sit with him. It was a Saturday, Sunday, and I decided to take Monday and Tuesday off to just spend a little extra time with him. Well, Monday morning rolled around and I, sh- I was supposed to have been at work, but like I said, I took two days off. And he saw me sitting in the chair and he goes, what are you doing? And this is when I was administrative officer for the tribe. I said, well, dad, I said, I took a couple of days off just to hang out with you. He goes, you hung out with me this weekend. You work for the people. You need to get home. And so even, you know, failing health with cancer, when my dad told me to get my butt on the road, I got my butt on the road and I headed back home to work and, uh, and, and then worked for the people. And so Really, I think those are the two biggest influences. Uh, personally, since I took this job, so many great influences in my life. Uh, you know, I've got the distinct honor and privilege to work with folks like from the Native Nations Institute and Joan Timichi and all the great folks there. I've got to know uh, Joe and Steve really well, Miriam Jorgensen, all those folks from both NNI and the Harvard Project, and then some just phenomenal tribal leaders who when you hear their stories and how they transcend, it can really change your perspective in your life. And those are folks like uh, Frank Edwagishik from Michigan, uh, Mike Mitchell from Aquasasni, Rocky Barrett from Citizen Potawatomi down in Oklahoma. And so in my later career, those are the leaders that I've really looked to to help shape and form what we do at Native Governance Center and are new guides for me as I'm you know doing even on my personal journey and things I want to take, take uh, under, undertake and, and do. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Wayne Ducheneau, a Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe citizen who is the executive director of the Native Governance Center. What have you learned about yourself or discovered about yourself through your work at the Native Governance Center? That's a great question. Um, I think one thing for sure I learned is something that has been a part of my leadership journey since I started at that hotel enterprise is make sure you're surrounding your people, surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you and then just take credit for, no, just kidding. Um, (laughs) Make sure that (laughs) you're hiring the best people to work for Indian country on behalf of Indian country, right? And so I'd like to think I'm humble enough to know that even with my broad experience within tribal governance and leadership, 
I don't know everything. And so making sure to bring people on board who have to have different perspective, different experience has been really important for the success of Native Government Center. Another thing I've learned is the power of relationships, right? And that's one of those things, as you can tell from this interview, I'm a very talkative guy anyway. I'm very friendly by nature. It's really important in this work, again, understanding we're a Native-led nonprofit. The nonprofit world isn't Native, right? It's you're, you're existing in this system where you are recognized by the federal government as being tax-exempt. You're recognized by the state government as being chartered under their laws. Um, and so you're in this non-Indigenous world. And so um, holding even closer and even tighter to Indigenous ideas and values has become important for me. And then also making sure that you're forming strong relationships because it doesn't matter if it's earning and keeping the trust of a tribal leader, sitting down and talking with folks at the grassroots level or engaging in conversations with people in the foundation world. If you're not building strong relationships, it can really hinder your success. And so I think so much of the work we do at Native Governance Center is based around one of our principles about being a good relative and being in good relation with each other, that that's something that's really drove home in the last six years. I wouldn't be in this organization, wouldn't be where we are today if we haven't and hadn't formed strong partnership and relationships with people from all of those different areas I talked about, grassroots leaders, elected tribal leaders, other nonprofit organizations and foundations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's years and years and years in the making among community and family, even friends, relatives, you know, all of that means something, which is unique to Indian country, I think. It's incredible to see how much we value relationships and how much we can get done or not really rides on it. You kind of hit the nail on the head. When I, when I think about all of Indigenous values, whether it's the grandfather teachings of the Anishinaabe people, the Ojibwe people, or it's the, our Lakota values and virtues. When you boil them all down, right? To me, what's left is that being a good relative value. It is being a good relative to yourself. So again, that self-care component, making sure that you're taking care of oneself, being a good relative to your family, to friends, to the community, wider community around you, native and non-native. And then being also being a good relative to, to Unchimaka, to Mother Earth, to Mother to nature. You know, all of those values that we are as Indigenous people, to me, are embodied in a simple act of being a good relative. And so, again, I think that's that goes without saying. And then the other thing I've learned that I've start starting to try to, to say more and more is there's a wisdom in indigeneity that is inherent to this land and in our DNA and in this land's DNA. And I think as we as Native people, as we are rediscovering our language, our culture, our values, we're, we're relearning and rebuilding. Not only are we going to have the grow the capacity for us to take care of ourselves and heal ourselves, but those lessons, those are the same lessons that are going to heal this world. And I don't think I would be doing this job's service if I didn't fundamentally believe that. And I believe that to my core. I believe the wisdom, the power, the strength of our people uh, is going to lead to the success of not only our nations, but our, our neighbors as well. Miigwech, thank you for joining us today on Native Lights, and also chi miigwech to Wayne Ducheneau for sharing with us today. Wayne is a citizen of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe and is the executive director of the Native Governance Center. 
And what you heard today on the show was just a portion of our conversation with Wayne. So if you want to hear more from him and more about the Native Governance Center, search for Native Lights wherever you listen to podcasts or go to minnesotanativenews.org. That does it for us this week. This is Native Lights. I'm Leah Lem. And I'm Cole Primo. Giga Wabaman. Giga Wabaman. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.